Perhaps there's no more fundamental thing than what we're trying to do here than, than the question of how we see the world. And it's really interesting because Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, that's that piece that, that Will mentioned, there, there is no more transforming verse that, that has shaped this community than that. In fact, it was while we were studying Acts chapter 1 together at our old contemporary service at Westminster that God began to birth this idea for the vine. So we began to realize as a, as a team, and we had a team put together that was really thinking about what we wanted to do, that we began to realize that we could not remain in the building, that we had to step outside of our walls in order to meet people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God began to shape our worldview through the book of Acts chapter 1. And so I thought what we'd do today is just for a quick few minutes is we just explore that. And for those of you that were a part of that teaching, then this will just be a great kind of reminder. But for those of us that maybe have missed it, this is a much bigger picture of the world. So if you've got a Bible or you want one, they're in the back. Um, We'd love for you to grab it. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be exploring this idea of of worldview. And so if you've got one or want one, Bruce is going to be passing some out if you need one. If not, you're welcome to follow along with me. But before we open God's Word together, let's pray. God, you are amazing, and we thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for the testimony of our friends. God, we thank you that they are um, seeing you move and and work in in their lives and in the people they're doing ministry with. Lord, we ask that you would begin in us to develop a global heartbeat. Um, God, that you begin to open our perspective and our worldview to something bigger. Take just a moment in your own heart, in your own life, just ask God to open your eyes to the bigger question of what he's doing around the world. And take a moment and just pray for somebody else. Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't, maybe you think it's, it's kind of weird. Just, just pray for them. Just say, God, I want you to do something in their life today. And pray for me. Pray that I'm up here to no selfishness or self-righteousness, just an empty and open vessel that God can, uh, can use. God, you're really good, and we are so blessed by you. So make your word penetrate our hearts this morning, God, and, and challenge us to ask a bigger question. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 1, and we'll kind of give you a little bit of background, but here's what's happening. The risen Christ has actually appeared to the disciples. The disciples and, and a few others are gathering, and they're just kind of waiting. They don't really know what to do next. And, and they're waiting, and it says that Jesus showed up in their presence and spent 40 days teaching, sitting with them, talking with them. And this little interaction is one little action that we have. But can you imagine being part of that 40 days, the things that Jesus was sharing with them? But Jesus is sharing with them, and this is one of those interactions that happens in Acts chapter 1, verses, we're going to start in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the very ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes and uh, and in a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go. So Jesus has spent 40 days with these disciples, just kind of talking and teaching, meeting together in this room. And, and he starts to talk about the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit that was going to come. And in Acts chapter 2, we actually see God fulfill that promise, bringing the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But, but Jesus is talking about this Holy Spirit. And the disciples have this long-standing connection from the Old Testament that when the Holy Spirit comes, there was going to be something that was happening in, in the life of Israel. We learned that from the book of Joel. But, but Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come as promised. And the disciples begin to ask the question that was on every mind of all the Jews. And that is, at this time, are you going to restore Israel to a political power? Because you remember, remember the life of Christ. The Jews are waiting for a political king. They wanted a king to come in the line of David and, and free them from Rome and reestablish their power so that the world will look at them again and say, man, Israel is the powerful nation it once was. Because remember, they were, they were being held captive by Rome. They were under someone else's rule. They thought that this Jesus, this Messiah who was going to come, was going to restore Israel. And that was really the singular view. They were all just waiting for that. And so the disciples asked the million-dollar question, which is, Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes, is that when the kingdom of God will be restored to Israel, that you will renew our nation? Because see, the disciples and all the people of Israel really had a singular worldview, and that was, when are you going to redeem us? When are you going to restore us? For thousands of years, we've been waiting We've been hoping for this promised Messiah, and you finally came, and now is our turn. It's now our time to be raised up. And so they were waiting for, for Jesus to say, yes, now's the time. But instead, Jesus does something really different. He actually responds to them in a very different way. And in verse 7, he says this. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses both here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. Jesus says, listen, it's not for you to know what God's going to be doing on His own authority. All right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and you will become my witnesses. Now, this is a really interesting answer because... The Jews are waiting for Jesus to say, yes, I will restore the nation of Israel. Because that's what their heartbeats were about. We want to be redeemed and restored again. And likewise, I believe that, that as a people, as a Christian culture, we've oftentimes made our lives about us. And we, ask, we have a very singular worldview as, as it relates to me. And I've come across this, and I think I've mentioned this in here before, all the time working with churches and, and people that, that want our Christian world to be focused around us. And as Westerners, we believe this is actually true, that the rest of the world revolves around us, and it penetrates into our Christianity as well. And I've heard on numerous, numerous occasions, people in our churches say, listen, we've got enough problems of our own. We need to focus our energy and our resources and time on ourselves before we start doing things for other people. Because our worldview really at times is so much about ourselves that we fail to see the bigger picture. And this is where the disciples are. They're going, when are you going to redeem and restore us? But Jesus gives this incredible answer and reminds them that there's actually a much bigger picture here. And he says, hey, listen, it's not for you to know. In other words, God's going to be doing his own thing. And, and really, you're asking all the wrong questions. 
when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. In other words, you're not going to have to do this on your own. I mean, the disciples are fearful. They're waiting in this room. Jesus has, has been crucified. He's been, literally has come back to spend time with them. And they know he's going away again. And then what happens? Jesus, what happens when you leave us? What are we supposed to do? And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be empowered. In other words, you're not going to do it on your own. And he says, you will become my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Now, if you think about the word witness, the word there is actually a law term. It's a Greek term that that literally is used in law circles. And it really means that what it means in English, which is you will testify to what you know. Now, oftentimes we think that telling people about Jesus is, is about a systematic approach to talking about things that we're not really comfortable with. But really what Jesus is telling the church, which is this small gathering of people of about a hundred right now, he's saying, just testify about me. You will tell the world what you know. Now, if you think about it in in terms of a court of law, if you put a witness on the witness stand, they're there to testify only to what they know. What did you see? What did you hear? What were you a part of? What if we thought about evangelism in terms like that? Do you know that our only call is to tell the world about what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've been a part of? Our call is not to to talk about the things that we don't understand or we don't know. And so oftentimes we think that evangelism is for somebody else. It's somebody else's call because I'm not comfortable with whatever that means. But Jesus says that you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will testify to what you know, what you've heard, what you've seen. What changes lives are people that stand up and say, this is what God did in me. Not people that would necessarily give up and give a a 28-part kind of thesis on why God should exist. If you're anything like me, you want to hear from somebody that says, I met God. He changed me. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples to do. He says, just go tell the world what you've witnessed. Because the powerful tool at the time was actually the disciples saying, I have seen Jesus. You're not going to believe it. I walked with this guy. He showed up in our room and he said, it's me. And I touched his hands and and I was there when he was killed. And I was standing there when he was raised. I don't have all the answers. I don't know why God works this way. But I can tell you this, Jesus is real. I was sitting in a coffee, well, it was more of a restaurant coffee shop in Austin one time, and, and, and I was with two friends, and we had just done this, this churchy thing, and we were having dinner, and, and our waiter came over, and he asked you know, what we were having, and then he asked um, what we were doing, because he, could, you know, he just was curious. You know, we were talking about God and, and, and the thing that we had done, the service that we had been a part of, and, and he asked what we were doing. So we started talking about God, and he was like, I don't really believe in God. Um, and, I, and then we said, we said Why? And he goes, because no one, I've never actually seen someone that's met him that's any different. And I started thinking about that. I mean, this guy was not looking for a um, kind of a, a, a story about God that was real cerebral and it was up here. He was looking for someone that actually met God and it changed them. Which is really what we're called to do. We're just called to tell the world what we know. Which is, listen man, I don't know all the right answers about God and Christianity and the Bible, and I sure can't tell you how many chapters there are in the book of Amos, but I can tell you this, God is working in me. Some of you are going, Amos is a book in the Bible? Um, 
It's actually the book of the Bible that mentions the word fire the most, by the way. Just the ridiculous things you have to know to be ordained. So, so they want to know about lives being changed. So Jesus says, and here's actually the plan. You're going to be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was sort of the, the Jewish center. It was where they lived. It was where their lives were. He's saying, you're going to testify to people right here. And there may not have been a more hostile environment to the gospel of Jesus Christ than right there in Jerusalem. But he says, you will be my witnesses within these walls, right where you stand. He said, you will also be my witnesses in Judea, which is sort of the bigger countryside. Judea was a region. Okay, it was an area. He said, it's what existed beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a walled city to keep people out. He says, you will be my witnesses outside of these walls in the surrounding area. You will also be my witnesses in Samaria. And Samaria was an area, a region that people, the Jewish people hated. They hated it because they believed the Samaritans were a mixed blood race. They believed that they were a mixture of of Jewish blood and Gentile blood. And therefore they were unclean and impure. In fact, a good Jew, if you will, wouldn't even step foot on Samaritan soil. In fact, if they were traveling north from Jerusalem, literally they would go across the Jordan River, 30 miles out of the way on foot to walk around the country so they didn't have to step in it. Around the air, he sent a step in it. We know Jesus in John chapter 4 just cuts right through. He meets a woman from Samaria that we will actually talk about in the next few weeks. But, but he says, you're going to be my witnesses in, in Samaria, in the place that no one else will go. That's really interesting, right? You'll be my witnesses in the place that nobody else will go, in the place that, that everybody else thinks is kind of a waste of time. And then he says, and you'll be my witnesses to uh, the very ends of the earth. And at the time, the known world was much smaller and, and whatnot. But he was saying, as far as you can reach, the ends of the earth, you will become my witnesses. Now, this is really the call of the church. The call of the church is to witness to what we know about Jesus Christ. It's to live beyond our walls. It's to exist as a people group that says, I want to see the world know what I know about God. And I want to see you experience it for yourself. Because I believe the God that transformed me can transform you. And I don't have all the answers, and I won't pretend to, but I'll just tell you what I know. And that's that God is real, because I know it in my heart. And I just want you to know that. And for us, we can kind of associate our own kind of circles with what Jesus does. I mean, he says, you'll become my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. And we really have that in our community, right, in our city. We have the call to witness the gospel Right here, right, right up and down Western, right where you are at work. If you live in Edmond or Yukon or or Norman or wherever in your dorm room, wherever it is, your Jerusalem is your immediate area. It's right where you stand. It's the people that you come in contact with. And that's right. It means the people that you work with on a daily basis. You are the witness of Jesus Christ, how you live and how you talk. It says you'll also be my witnesses in Judea, which is the bigger picture what happens outside of our city, our country, our state? You'll be my witnesses in Samaria, in the very places that nobody else will go. I could tell you some interesting stories, but we have a lot of those places even right here in Oklahoma City. Um, I spent a lot of time in a, a, uh, a Hungarian gypsy village in the eastern part of Ukraine. And um, they're a poor, 
desolate, desperate people. People won't even go in there. In Europe, the gypsies are a hated people group. Hated. Nobody wants to be a part of what they're, that they are. And no one will even step foot in these little villages. Um, nobody will go there. There's no light. And when we spent time there, it was literally pure darkness. Evil and sin and pain and poverty. We're called to go there with the gospel. We're called to walk downtown where the crack addicts and the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the homeless people congregate and tell them about Jesus. We're called to serve. We're called to love. But more than all of that, we're called to talk about Christ. We can serve meals till we're blue in the face, but until we tell somebody about Jesus, we've yet to live what it means to be a witness. At some point in time, we've got to decide that we want to testify to this God that's changing us. And then Jesus says to the very ends of the earth. And that's really the partnerships that we're about. Partnering with, with people like this that have a heart for the bigger picture. So that we can be a part of the bigger picture of God. We do have enough issues of our own. We could spend the rest of our lives worrying about our own issues. And we will. But we also have a bigger call. It's a both and. So I, I wrote this little article for the Westminster Presbyterian Church newsletter, really around the same topic, which is how do you see the world? And in order to bring it home a little bit, I put some, some things with the faces and with the numbers, because... The truth is, is that we can talk about it, but until we realize that part of seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus means realizing that the things around us actually have hearts and souls and lives and minds and names. And then as we heard, it's about the individual relationships. And I started just kind of looking around and I realized that right here in Oklahoma City, on any given night, we have between 1,800 and 1,900 homeless men, women, and children that are sleeping in shelters or on the streets. Between 1,800 and 1,900 people a night right here. Do you know that in Oklahoma, the state, half a million people today will go to bed hungry? Half a million. Including one out of every five children. One out of every five children in our state will go to bed hungry. Do you know that this year... 2.2 million people will die worldwide because of, of waterborne illness, because of their lack of access to clean water. Lack of access to clean water. That includes 5,000 children every day. That's one every 15 seconds. A child that will die every 15 seconds because they don't have access to clean water. Do you know that for $10,000... We can dig a clean water well in an impoverished country, Central America or Africa, and it will supply water for a village for 15 to 30 years, saving lives. Do you know that literally for $100, you can buy 700 meals and feed 700 people in the state of Oklahoma through the food bank? There are huge needs all around us. And we can choose to close our eyes and pretend that, that people in Africa and China and Guatemala and Bosnia and wherever aren't dying without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can choose to not pay attention to the fact that we have close to 2,000 people that will sleep on concrete tonight. 
We can choose to ignore the fact that there are children in our midst that we know of that live up and down these streets where we are that don't have enough food. Who now that school is out will stay at home by themselves at five years old all day long while mom works. Or we can choose to see the world differently. We can choose to say, God, I want to be about witnessing for you. And what I know, right here in our own area, in the bigger picture, in, in the places that no one will go, into the very ends of the earth. At the Vine, here, we don't see mission as a program. Um, we see mission as perspective. We see it as a worldview. We don't see local and global mission as something that we programmatically do. We see it as a way that we live. Um, we want to, at least. We want to see it as a part of who we are. The call of every one of us. To live the gospel of Jesus Christ where you are, testifying about what you know. There's all kinds of ways that we can get involved. But if we don't get involved talking about Jesus as we share the gospel, we're just spinning our wheels. This morning as we close out, we're going to have the opportunity to to spend some time visiting with, with Will and Amanda. They'll be back at our global mission table. We're going to be partnering with them financially as a community. Um, We're going to do the best we can. We've got limited resources, of course, but we're going to love them that way. But if you want to be a part of their ministry, if you want to pick up their newsletter.